You are tuned to the KVMR Friday Evening News. I'm Felton Pruitt. Next up, we're going to run you an interview that I did with Phil Kaufman back in 1993. We were sitting on Emmy Lou Harris's bus in San Jose when she was playing with the Nash Ramblers, and Phil was her road manager. He was also road manager at times for the Rolling Stones, Graham Parsons and the Flying Burrito Brothers, Etta James, Frank Zappa, and many more. Phil was a character, and he had just put out his book, The Road Mangler Deluxe, about his life as a road manager in rock and roll and country music. We sat down with Phil. Well, let me correct myself. I'm not sure Phil ever sits. You'll understand as we begin the interview with Phil Kaufman. Knock, knock. Come in. Hey, did somebody get the door there, buddy? Let's see who it is. Let's huh? see who. Come on hey, in, Uncle Waldo. Interviewing, in, interrupting my interview. It's President Clinton. Hi, Pres. Hey, Bill, could you hold on for just a second? We're doing an interview. I've never seen a naked president before. Have you? Felton, that was good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Felton is now reading from a brochure for the Road Magler Deluxe, the most easily forgettable fool you'll ever meet. Now Take it, Felton. Is this the new book? That's the only book. The only book. The only book. People have probably been coming up to you all, all these years giving you money not to write a book. They and so, have indeed. And you finally decided to write one anyway. As a matter of fact, on one of Roseanne Cash's albums, she has a special credit to Phil Kaufman, which says a special thanks to Phil Kaufman for not showing up at any sessions. <laughs> a wise woman. A yes, a wise woman indeed. Folks, um, even though I've written a book, uh, right now I'm unemployed. So until that, you know, you all get out there and buy that book, I'm really up the creek without a road. If you're looking for work, his resume reads, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Rolling Stones, Carlene Carter, Roseanne Cash, Rodney Crowley, James Frank Zappa, Graham Parsons, Jonathan Richmond, Flying Burrito Brothers, Elizabeth Ashley, Vince Gill, Albert Lee, Mary, we could go on for a long time. AJ Masters, Devonals, Flying Burrito Brothers, Albert Lee, Marion Faithful, Salva Hillman, Fury, Joe Cocker, Pinto Bennett, the famous Motel Cowboys, and then Emmy Lou Harris, Nash Ramblers, and Marty Stewart. Well, probably most of the people out there are really wanting know about your time with Pinto Bennett. Well, uh, Pinto Bennett and I did some good time together. He got a year and a half, though the charges were dropped. On here it says you're also a crafty gypsy, a rough-and-tumble stuntman, and one of the world's greatest storytellers rolled into one tattooed bundle of fun. Well, I wrote that, so it must be, must be true. Did I spell everything right? Now you're uh, back on tour with Emmylou Harris. I am indeed my favorite lady in the whole world, Miss Emmylou Harris, who's a great singer, a great person, and a very poor judge of uh, road managers. And uh, how things going so far? Man, if it got any better, I'd explode. I'm having such a good time being back here. After being in Europe for four years, I was over to terrorizing the Europeans. And, uh, and I, and part I, of Europe were you terrorizing? Uh, England, mostly. I was working in film and TV as a male model. Of course. Of course. And, uh, but doing character parts as a male model. This body's not for sale. Dead air, dead air, was, quick, dead air. Get... But we're back. Do you know anything about the new Emmy Lou album, and can you possibly tell us I anything know, about it? I know a lot about the album. It's round. It's got a little hole in the middle, There's and right. it's shipped vinyl. We had the Oral Roberts record, but we had to return it because the hole kept healing. <laughs> yeah, that's an old one. Yeah, but so am I. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I was there when it first came out, buddy. Yeah. Tell us about um, how did, how in the world did you end up becoming what is known as a road manager? I mean, was this like I'm some road mangler? Mang well, yes. Right, right. <clears throat> well, it started when I uh, worked for the Rolling Stones doing Beggar's Banquet and Let It Bleed, and then I met a fellow named Graham Parsons who was living with Keith Richards, etc. And they did their first album, the the Gilded Palace of Sin, and they were going on the road. And Graham said, "Would you be a road manager?" I said, "Well, what does a road manager do?" He said, "Well, basically, what you do with the Stones is keep it together, keep everybody." You know, laugh it and get the money. You keep us on the road. You manage the road. So I went out as a road manager by myself. I did the laundry. I did the press, drove the truck. 
And I said, geez, no wonder people don't do it. This is a dumb job. And we were doing a show with the, with the birds. It was a shootout with the birds in uh, Boston. And, they, and the Jimmy Sider, their road manager, had these guys running around lifting things and moving. I said, what are they? He said, they're roadies. I said, well, where do you get them? <laughs> so you give them money and they move things. I said, wow, what a great concept. And ever since then, I've been moving people and not equipment. <laughs> so roadies were invented in what year? Well, I, mean, I don't know. They were invented before me, but I didn't know they existed. But I didn't know. I, did. I lifted everything, plugged everything in, did a sound check, did the laundry. I said, what a dumb job. I said, nobody wanted Then God invented roadies, and I, and I stuck around. So you just coordinate the roadies. I do. I do, I do. Now here we are in 1993. What has changed well, it's, from it, then I, to I, now? I've, done, I've, I've just celebrated a quarter of a century of road mangling. And, and the, the, uh, the, you can tell the road is mangled it's, from wherever. Uh, it's, I've, left, yeah, <laughs> I've probably got the world's greatest collection of little soaps. Now that I've been around, uh, I'm starting to return the towels from the hotels I stayed at before getting new ones. So instead of doing my laundry, I just return the towel if I stay at a holiday inn and get a new one. What's the biggest challenge being a road mangler on, on the road in 1993 now? Sobriety is back. <laughs> and I voted no on it. So it's I'm, a real drag. It's really, it? yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's too many sober people backstage these days. Who gave you the name road mangler? I did. I did. I was... Uh, I was years ago. I used to, you know, instead of talking to people, I used to punch them and push them away. But that's those are those days when people were doing drugs. I know they don't do it. I know the world is free, drug free now. I never did like cocaine. I just like the way it smelled. So, uh, <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. 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 He anymore. Says. On the resume, uh, let's see. What is uh, executive nanny human trombone? <laughs> <clears throat> well, Frank Zappa has a video out called Baby Snakes, and I was his road manager back in those days and uh, he was doing a song they used to do called King Kong and there's a long long instrumental with the band and Frank sits on stage and drinks espresso and smokes cigarette and he looked over and saw me and he pointed at me and said come on out of here I said well me yeah you I got out there and he said ladies and gentlemen Phil Kaufman the human trombone take it Phil in the book Road Mangler Deluxe, Phil Kaufman writes, When the Stones were recording Country Honk for the album Let It Bleed, they wanted an authentic country fiddle, and they asked me, who should we get? Well, I asked Graham Parsons, and he said, Byron Berline. So we flew Byron in from Oklahoma City to LAX. Byron looked like he, what he was, an ex-linebacker from Oklahoma. We then went to Elektra Records, and then to get the right atmosphere, the uh, Stones wanted an outdoor sound. So we put a chair outside the studio where Byron played the fiddle part to Country Honk, while the Stones were doing their parts inside. For good measure, I hired a girl to drive up and down the boulevard honking her horn. After Byron was done, I put him on a plane bound back for Oklahoma. It was a pretty good day's work for a country boy. So uh, there's the story of why that has those cars and those honking in the background there. Uh, country honk from the Stones. You probably have a, a very unique aspect on, on this lady that we're here listening to tonight. What do you think Amy Lou Harris has meant to country music? I think she's the best thing that's ever happened to country music. She's she's such, such character, and she's got so well respected. I mean, I mean, those characters don't make good singing, but it don't hurt. She, I mean, she's just she's just good. You can I don't know if you can hear in the background, but she's just always done it her way, and uh, she's won a lot of awards, and she sells her records, and she's never compromised. And but her music is still good and valid, and she's a musician's musician. People who join her band want to be with her. It's not a gig. Like some, some other musicians might, you know, the hired gun. People want to play with her, and people play with her, they, she brings out the best of them. They want to play with her, they want to play well with her. And, uh, and she's just always had some great musicians around her who have gone on, a lot of them, to do 
you know, solo performances and and also she's always asked to sing on a lot of records. You hear a lot of records nowadays, <laughs> and Emmy Lou's you know may not be selling, but damn, there she is, you know, singing with somebody she cares for. And she'll go and sing with him. She yeah. loves that. I know she was very into the uh, Nancy Griffith project. Yes, yeah, she was. And uh, we, uh, she and I went and saw the McGarrigals the other night, sisters, in Toronto. And uh, she, they had us both crying. For a lot of the people out there that uh, have come across Graham Parsons over the years from CD but weren't around back in his day, can you just uh, share a little bit about what he was all about and meant? He still did. Graham was uh, the, the innovator, I think, of the, the so-called country rock. Graham, Graham was brought up... In the country, uh, but he was—he was—he was a well-to-do, well-educated boy. But he, he had the country soul, and he, we were the first people to ever play the long hairs to play the Palomino. He said to us, "I want to play the Palomino." That's in North Hollywood, the old Palomino. That, that was, was that taboo was, back then. That, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, nothing, nothing. Not, if you had, didn't have a haircut, you couldn't get in the door, let alone get on the bandstand. And Graham was the first guy. We, they let us play on. I think it was Wednesday nights when the, when the house band was off. And we we played we played for uh, for drinks, and at the end of at the end of the night, we owe them one hundred and twenty dollars because we, we we drank more than we earned. Uh, but I mean, Linda Ronstadt would come out, Peter Townsend came out, Russ Stones would come out. People would come out to hear us play and sit in. Mm-hmm. And then and then to the day that Tommy Tommy Thompson, who was the owner of the uh, Palomino, died, my name was on the door. He says if Phil Coffin comes by, he's in. I mean, because he knew that we had brought that kind of music, and he. Let us in there, and good, good for him, and good for country music. And Graham was the Graham was the innovator for that. And of course, he, he was with Emmy Lou, and and you ask any old country artist today, they they know they know Graham Parsons. You want to tell us about your book? Oh yes, the book. Let me hold up the uh, the, the cover. See yeah, that, hold folks? it close to the mic. Oh, it's close to the mic. Exactly. It says it's a picture of me. Uh, it says the most unforgettable character you'll ever meet. That's corny, but we, it was, we took it from Reader's Digest because you know I won't make Reader's Digest. <laughs> so you know that thing that's the most unforgettable. It's usually a guy who's painted. You may own it someday, something. though. Yeah. yeah, but I won't read it. <clears throat> and it's the uh, it's about my 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 with Graham, the music business, the film business. Being in prison, I got I was one of those marijuana felons back in the '60s. I got five years. I I deserved it. I did all that time. <laughs> I'm proud of it. And uh, and I I produced a record by Charles Manson. Uh, and I, you know, there's a lot of, my guy go way back. One of the things that Phil Kaufman is most famous for is stealing Graham Parsons' dead body in his casket from LAX and driving it out to Joshua Tree and burning it. Here's part of that story. The back page of this pamphlet, I was uh, shocked almost to see a reference to the time you were fined $30 for stealing a box of wood. <clears throat> yeah, they, they, when, we, we, when we stole the body, they, uh, they took us to court and they said that the body had no intrinsic value. They they charge us for stealing the the, the uh, uh, casket, and I said to the judge, "Well, I know that I would take it to meet and left the box." And uh, and then when the judge sent me, they gave us probation. He said to me, "He said, all right, you know the condition of probation?" I said, "I I think I do. I can't steal a body for a year." And he said to my lawyer, "Get that ass out of here." <laughs> so, uh, but it was a deal. Graham and I had made a deal. <clears throat> we had been at Clarence White's funeral. Clarence Clarence White, the guitar player with the Birds, he had been he had been hit by a car, drunk driver. Graham and I went to the funeral. It was a very one of those very religious funerals that Graham didn't want to have that happen to him. So we made a deal, a drunken deal. Whoever dies first would promise, you know, to take the, the survivor's body. Survivor would take the dead guy's body out to the desert, mm-hmm. have a few hundred drinks, and uh, and burn it. And he did. He died, and I did. Why Joshua Tree? That was his spiritual uh, <clears throat> epicenter. I think he, he felt he, whenever he died out there, for one thing. <laughs> but it was this place where he used to go to to get away from it all. And he never came back that time. Actually, when when we when I lit the body, 
We had poured, we poured um, five gallons of high test on them because I didn't want them to ping. When I lit the, lit the body, it made a big bushy noise as it grabbed all the oxygen. And actually, his ashes went up as, as like a little dust devil, went straight up into the, into the atmosphere. It just split up. It was very cosmic, man. Well, uh, you know, I, I got to admit, you are probably one of the best interviews anybody could ever want to sit down and, and share well, a microphone with. Well, thank you. Listen, when the book comes out and I'm a big star, I won't forget you, Bob. <laughs> Thanks a That's lot, Bill. That's two always, isn't it, Bob? Thanks a lot, two Bill. Okay, Ralph. Fat Music with Phil Kaufman, The Road to Mangala. <laughs>